Welcome to the podcast of the Urban Mystic. This is season two where we meet with fellow deconstructors, fellow journeymen and journeywomen to hear the story of their first experience of God, calling to ministry, deconstruction and present journey. So Tim, it's so cool to be chatting again as we journey through season two together and our, our wonderful guests and exciting tonight to be reflecting on the next batch of guests as they've talked really around kind of a couple of things, but what's central for me is this idea of you know, church's institution as we've talked about through season one. And as I kind of see as like this, this machine that keeps going, this, this thing that needs to be fed its children in some ways to keep moving on, to keep rolling on, and this thing that almost wants to have a life of its own. And that in contrast to the guests from this batch of recordings are talking about in terms of imagining more of a relational community or perhaps community after the church's institution. And so that's really exciting and it's been great to unpack with them how they might still want to hold on to the idea of community and I guess some sort of intention around doing community and meeting with people, but they really are trying to distinguish themselves from this kind of church as usual, carrying on, we're just going to do it, you know, something different, but still call it church. They really are trying to lock into something fundamentally different. And that's been quite exciting and refreshing to see, to see that journey, you know, as we've talked, talked with our guests there. And so it's given me lots of pause to think around what does kind of the community after the community look like, or what might you know, church after church, even though we might want to shy away from that word. And we've used other terms as we've talked even through season one, you know, is it ecclesia versus church as an institution? But there's a real desire for this relational interaction between people. And I'm also picking up a desire for a flattening of hierarchy, a moving away from some of the more, I think, dysfunctional sort of leadership manifestations, you know, that sort of stuff, which is, has given me great pause for thought. And if I think specifically about, you know, John van der Laar and Richard Jacobson are doing something similar and also it's, it's quite different, both of their approaches, you know, as, as they've shared with us. Even though both of them have an online presence, I see, you know, Richard really still wanting to do a lot of the face-to-face and John speaking more about this new evolving digital community, you know, that he's pioneering that has actually been, you know, I've, I've been a part of that since almost the beginning and that's, it's been a fascinating journey to just go with him and some other people as we explore some of that territory. So I've really enjoyed uh, what they've had to say. And so I thought I'd, I'd start by asking you a question. Is there any one or two or three things that, that have really struck you about what they had to say in this contrast or in their journey or what they're exploring in their thinking that's really either resonated with you or really caused you to think? Very much so. What, what I love about these two guests in particular is that although there's a lot of talk around the, the need for more relational communities and for that to be recaptured, to move away from being a business that delivers particular services as churches, you know, church, church as business, whether for profit or not for profit, to move from that back to the notion of, of community. And certainly when I, when I talk to people that are in more traditional church environments, community is a big part of it. But definitely in, in the more, in the newer churches and in the business churches, community seems to not really be a priority. There's a quote on the internet, I forget who said it, but they basically said that one of the big problems with the church today is, is people ar- arrive wanting to be part of a community and they just end up being a, a, 
you know, an audience member. And so, mm. so they don't really experience community by, by doing it. And when I think of a lot of projects that just with people that I've been chatting to, a lot of the projects that are on the go, they end up being more the institution in translation as community. So it's still actually the institution doing community for the sense of wanting to pull people back into the institution and institutional mm. membership, institutional identity, all of that kind of stuff is, is, is the priority. So as long as that business name building and its projects keeps going, they feel like there's a successful church and a successful church plant and a successful venture and people are a part mm. of that. And, and so you can change out all the people and have zero community, but they're still going to use the same label church. What I love about Richard and John in particular is that they, people who, who are going that step further and have basically said, let's lay down the institution in order to mm. prioritize the community. There's more of a connection, or at least they're, they're closer towards where I think we need to get to in future and in the present. Mm. I think it is a, in many ways, it's a healthy approach, but it's very risky. Or at least mm. people looking in can feel that it's very risky because a lot of it is exploratory and a lot of mm. it, you're giving up the framework, the institutional pillars that help something feel like it's got an identity or that it's steeped in history. And so, yeah, they, you know, we've got one individual going, let's give up that institutional layering with titles and positions and mm. owning property and employing staff and that kind of stuff. And just genuinely be that community that is the church, that community that is the ecclesia. And, and let's do that by relating to each other and making our relational connection primary. I, I totally love that. Mm. With Richard, there's, a, there's that language of, of, of unschooling, that language of unchurching, to get back to doing mm. that as, as community, to doing it as people. Absolutely love that. And with John, mm. there's the risky venture of, going, of recognizing that there is a lot of community that is enabled by the internet and by relationships over the internet. And it's not just social media for social media for marketing or social media for causes or, or social media mm. for, for dysfunction and you know, people being on their, uh, on their cause, but that there's actually <laughs> genuine caring and genuine relating taking place. And so that choice to experiment, to say, let's become a community online and let's live in relation with each other as facilitated online. And so we could be a translocal community as well mm. as being local communities. Like, I, I, just, I just love those two. The other thing that, that, that really strikes me about them is that both are individuals that have been prepared to lay down their careers in order to do it. And, uh, you know, when, when someone is willing to do that, I kind of go, there's a lot more to this for them. And I, I highly respect that. Both are individuals that have basically given up careers that they had in order to do this because this is their calling. And, and that just stands out to me as being quite, quite phenomenal. In my mind, it's really the whole, them getting to the nitty gritty of going, how do we do intentional organic community? How do we do this kind of intentional living and relating together with the sense that we are a community and we are a community united in our pursuit of God and our love for each other and our relationship with each other. And I think that's, that's like, that's almost that's, that's the heart of, of a lot of marketing language that I, I think churches as businesses have, but you don't actually experience if you're a part of them. Right off the top of my head is the thing that stands out. Mm. It, it brings a challenge. In some ways, they're digging into things that I didn't successfully answer. And mm. they're digging into the same area that I'm, I, I'm really trying to wrestle into. 
you know, there's, there's meaning in relationships. And so how, how does one form an intentional community that meets together with God and with each other? I think they're making great roads and great steps towards answering that. I love that. You know, the, the second point that you share there also really resonates with me just immediately as I'm thinking and responding is that I don't get the sense. Well, let me put it this way. You know, the, the financial aspect is always tricky for me mm. when it comes to church's institution, because if you follow the money, you start to get a sense of what this organization really believes in. And if I'm not talking about the global church, we've, if, if we just went kind of geographical church building an organization by a geographical church building an organization. And you ask that question of like, where's the money? It will give you a good sense of what, of what the real priorities are. And so I don't have a sense, you know, specifically with John, I think just because I've been quite a bit closer to him in the last six months, you know, Richard is a relative stranger to me. I don't get the sense that this money has a leading edge and at the same time, it's not that it's not a reality, as I pick up, you know, with John and this community, etc. But there isn't this sense of, well, if you just sniff long enough, you're going to pick up the bullshit and go, okay, there's the money. <laughs> that for me is, is very powerful. And I think the two of them share it in a sense is this risk that you talk about earlier. And they're just striking out and going, we don't know if it's going to mm. work. We've got some senses, we've got an idea, we've got a, a sense of call, we've got some, you know, some dreams, some visions, whatever it might be. Let's just go out there and take the risks and see what happens. Both of them are in, in, in a similar space to where many online internet-based businesses have been, where we live in a world where Uber at the start was the biggest taxi company that didn't own any, any taxis. Uh, Facebook mm. is the company that doesn't charge its, its primary users anything to to use mm. and yet it is valued at, at, at billions and so in that sense it, it's offering the free service and, and the money actually follows the work rather than it being trans, transactional and I, I feel like in some ways they're, they're, they're both at the early stages of people experimenting with that because the way we've always done it is we've always created an institutional banner you set up a business venture and so you take a look at any of the new religious movements, you take a look at, at the, any of the state-based religions that transition to denominations, that have to transition to businesses and, and, and be funded, you know, no longer from the, the, the national spending, but from the community that actually says, this is our spiritual home. This is our, our meeting place. There's, there's a transition in model because what they're doing is they're letting go of those uh, tried and tested classical structures. So in that sense, there's, there's, a, there's a tremendous freeing up to redefine what their calling is as individuals and how they're supposed to live it out. And I think in many ways, they're, they're still in that let's work it out phase, but their contribution exceeds that. You know, they are both, they're both making fantastic contributions to the lives of others, and they're not doing it in an immediate transactional sense. They're not yeah. saying you have to be part of my church. They're going, this stuff is free for you to use. Do with it what you need. Uh, you know, mm. And I'm there to contribute to you. I'm, I'm available yeah. to meet on a, on a podcast like this because I want to share these ideas. I, there's a sense of, of, of calling and standing by what they believe in, but they're not selling a product. And, and I think that is new territory when it comes to any kind of religious work. Yeah, very much so. So yeah, just the, the early stages in my mind of, you know, the internet has enabled a lot of stuff for businesses like Facebook and Uber 
Airbnb. I think of those as three big examples where you're actually offering a free, a free service and you're serving so many people. And then there's a, there's, there's a financial backbone because obviously you, 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 can't, you can't do business like that without having to make money somehow. And I think mm. people like Richard and John, what I love about what they're doing is they're going ahead and doing something, not knowing if there's, if there's going to be enough financial support even following them in, in, in what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. I love that, they, that they're doing that because they're getting to carve something out that is actually genuine service first. It's, it's a genuine yeah. contribution first. It's not them trying to get rich off their project. It's not them. <laughs> if I think about it, one of the things from, from, from a few years ago when I did the doing church project, research project, I, you know, I'd, I, I'd, I'd be visiting a church and, you know, recording the service and, and the events that happened. And I, I kid you not, one church after another is, is basically going, we've got such a great vision from God. We're really going places. God's really working amongst us. We're going to be able to build a bigger building soon. And then you go down the road, <laughs> you know, and they're going to build a building and be like the church down the road. You go to the church down the road and, oh my goodness, they do, God is doing such wonderful things. Things are really growing for them. They're going to be able to build a bigger building soon. And yes, where their building fund is at. And one after the other is just, is just like that. Mm, mm, mm. God's into some serious construction business stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's no longer the cattle on a thousand hills, man. It's property, property <laughs> investment. <laughs> well, he's moving with the times. That's probably important for him. Yeah, and that's, and, and that's, that's, that's literally what I, what I see a lot of churches sure. doing, especially when you take a look at how church buildings are getting bigger and better. And if you think of the, of the spend that goes into them, that the work is actually about that. I, I bumped into a friend of mine uh, the other day. He, he's someone that's, uh, that's planting a church and he really feels called to preach. He hated studying theology. He couldn't get through his undergrad like requirements e- enough and just to be done with it. He just absolutely hated it. And so I, I kind of got, you want to preach and your primary framework is preaching is teaching, but you don't want to learn. There's a disconnect there. And then when I get, get into the nitty gritties of like the normal kind of pastoral life, because in, in the pastoral life, you, you're working and you're, you're involved in people's lives. You, you, you're there during their life events and their crises. And you kind of like that first like stopgap port of call. If you need to refer to you know, someone who specializes in something, you do that. But your goal is to, is to, is to assist people in their lives, right? And he's like, no, I hate people. I don't want to do any of that kind of stuff. And it just leaves me going, what are, you, what are you doing? And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people that I know that are in ministry are like that. What are they doing? They want to stand in front of a crowd on a Sunday and, and, and have their say. But all the other work, they just, they just basically want to be someone who manages a business and then they've got staff to cover all the other work that they don't want to do. And I think that there's, there's, there's a disconnect there. And I, I, get, I get very frustrated with that because I, I feel like in, in, in many ways, going back to first batch of deconstruction of deconstructors to to what chris is saying what chris was saying chris harrison was saying about the education and the the education system is it just supports producing people and putting people into these narrow boxes and so the the real question is like what is you know if you think of the 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 ministry of jesus the the work of the kingdom you know etc etc those are it's a wonderfully broad term but if, as you say, you, 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 you know, as you were saying, if you, if you track the money or like I did with the doing church research project, 
if you just track what are people doing, because you work from what they're doing, from their practices, you work back to what their priorities are. And from their priorities, you work back to what their actual values are. And what it really comes down to is building this, this, this service, building the Sunday service and the machinery to support that. And so, so what does it look like? It looks like bigger and bigger auditoriums. Yeah, and, and if you're a time of crisis like this, what do you do? Well, if people can't meet together, well, we can package this onto the internet for you, right? Why? Because I can get behind a camera and I can get behind a microphone and we can produce my public talk, you know, and I still feel like I'm doing my thing. And then all I do is I just take a look at the number of hits I'm getting. And that's, there's my value. I find myself struggling with that and the machinery that goes into supporting that. There's a lot more scope with people like Richard Jacobson and John Fidelar basically going, let's do genuine community first. And then let's encourage people to live into what God is calling them to and encourage the community and the people around them to, to back those projects. And if, they, if, if what they're doing is so successful and it's, taking, and it's starting to bump up against normal life and they're, and they're good at it and we recognize that they're called at it, let's get behind those people and back them. And the fact that, you've, yeah, you've got two people on different ends of the planet one working primarily offline and face-to-face, the other one working primarily online, facilitated by the internet, who share that similar kind of ethos just gives, just gives me a lot of hope there, that there are people out there that are looking at going, let's, let's curate the, a new model of doing community that actually has the primary value of doing community first. And how do you measure that? You measure that by people doing community. You don't measure that by people stepping outside a community to come to an auditorium. Yeah, so much so, Tim. And I think I had some conversations with people where some of the feedback is, you know, sure, this is a really harsh caricature of the church that you're drawing. And I say, well, possibly, maybe a little bit. But I think if you really, if you really just sit down for a minute and you try to limit your defensiveness, I am surprised at how many people in this kind of ministry box start to echo some of these thoughts where there isn't the knee-jerk reaction to go, yeah, but I've got to protect this thing because, you know, as we've said before, it's so intricate, uh, intricately woven into their lives. It's their livelihood. It's their future, their retirement plan. Their, there's, there's so much loaded value there. But it's not, I don't think it's anywhere close to a caricature I think it's a really unfortunate, painful truth that more and more people are subconsciously acknowledging is what is happening within the ministry box. And I think the spillover that I'm also starting to see more and more people are consciously acknowledging, wow, sure. It's like I'm just, I'm stuck in the ringmaster job in this circus and it goes round and round and round and has a life of its own. And, you know, when am I going to get to come off this merry-go-round? And I was, I was thinking just now, you know, two simple little stories from my own experience that I remember specifically around kind of the finance idea within church and how much of a hold it has. You know, I remember two, two separate leadership meetings I was at at a church in my past. And at one of them, the, the kind of head honcho of the church at some point interrupted a conversation that was happening in amongst the team around a direction or a decision or something. And it had to do with some wealthy congregants. And he said, listen, I know on which side my bread is buttered. 
I know who pays my salary here and I'm not going to mess with that. And so I'm actually going to veto this decision or this conversation and just go, we're not actually going in that direction because I know the impact it can have, you know, in terms of the finances. And then another was, was a story that I, I often tell in jest, but it's, it is so sad for me because there was, a, there was this moment where it was incredibly real. And so this was a traditional church with, you know, the setup with the altar at the front and altar rail, and uh, they were a, a Eucharistic community, so they served communion every Sunday, which was a big part of the ritual of that church. And there was this thing around, you know, how do we make sure that people are continuing their charitable giving to the church's organization? And I jokingly said, well, what you could do is just install a speed point at the communion rail. And when people come forward for communion, they're only given communion if they swipe their credit card. And a whole bunch of people laughed. But I looked around the room and there were a couple of people kind of going, I wonder, oh no, we probably couldn't. And, it, and you know, and they dismissed it. But there was this moment where I swear to you, two or three people were going, you know what, it could actually work. There are churches that are certainly looking to quote unquote modernize, you know, the, the, the reaping, the reaping of, of, of tithes. A friend of mine left a church down in Cape Town. And basically one of the membership requirements was that you submitted your pay, pay slip on becoming a member so that they could deduct, deduct your tithe. Oh, goodness gracious me. Big brother is alive and well. <laughs> <laughs> and and I still I still have some of the footage, but but in fairness, it's a it's a project I'd I'd love to I'd love to redo, to redo it as a as a documentary with people guests going in with undercover cameras, <laughs> and record. I feel the like services. we could team up with Sasha Baron Cohen actually almost <laughs> on a project like that. <laughs> well, I have seen the way he wears his COVID mask. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be a great idea to almost do a similar kind of research project again, where one records the services and you could actually pull that kind of stuff out because people don't believe me when I say that kind of stuff. I think like you use the word caricature, that they feel like, when you and I talk and we, that, that we're drawing a caricature and we're blowing it out of proportion, but it's literally, it's literally just such a common thing. And so there is, there is that dark side to, to it, as you say, where, where a lot of it is just, it's just ridiculously manipulative and exploitive. What I loved about that project that I did a, a while back was because it was such a wide ranging number of churches, I, I could make the statements that I made without having to single out any single one of them because at least four of the churches would exhibit the bad stuff that I would be talking about at any given point. So it's not necessarily in every service, but with some of them, it's, it's regularly enough. I mean, there's, there's churches that will preach a whole 20-minute sermon basically manipulating people into giving money before they actually preach the sermon. And some of that will then preach a second sermon about that afterwards. You know, you know what I think I find saddest about... I think I'll, I'll, I'll end with this before we sort of disappear too far down the rabbit hole. I think what I find most sad about the situation is when I have conversations with people where I have a better sense of their heart and their desires in the space, and I can still see some of this at play. And it's, I, th I, think, it's, I think it's quite a difficult and deep level thing to contemplate around in some ways there's a there's a there's sort of a a pastoral capture <laughs> i'm trying to drawing on the state capture thing going on 
of of people who genuinely are wanting to make a positive difference. And still there are some of these trappings of institution church that is happening there. And so if I bring it back to our conversation around the guests, what I enjoy is that those two guests specifically have just been incredibly brave, I think, in calling it what it is. Even though I think there's been, you know, my understanding from John definitely from my conversations with him and sort of witnessing some of his journey and then, you know, what he shared with us on, on the episode, that there is, there's very real cost to the self there. And it's not always, I think, the easily published cost of, you know, they gave up a career, maybe a retirement plan, maybe a steady salary, you know, maybe finishing with their ego intact, whatever it might be. And, and you know, let me just be careful of the side note. I'm not taking a shot at either John or Richard's egos. But, you know, I think there are some general sort of surface level things that, that people give up and that hurts. But I think part of it as well is, is having to deconstruct for yourself whether you were sort of sucked in a bit into the institution. And I've had to do that for myself and I've had to assess within myself, when have I been operating from within these institutional parameters? And when am I saying that I'm doing genuine community and I'm really not? And that's been really hard. I know I find that really hard. And I think I pick up strands of that in John and Richard's conversation of having to assess self and go, Sure, I, I've actually had to I've had to release that part of myself that perhaps wasn't that healthy or wasn't that helpful or whatever the language we might put to it. And I think the only reason I'm potentially brave enough to say that is because I've also seen that in myself where I've had to, you know, to use the <laughs> the Christian language of sort of lament and repent and kind of go, wow, you know, I've 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 to some extent been sucked into the circus. And I have to see that in myself and distance myself from that. And that, I think, is part of the deconstruct into the what comes after that I see them so bravely exploring now. But I left in 2006. I left with the intention of actually leaving and not coming back. And that, that journey in between was 10 years. The coming back to doing this kind of work, I didn't actually come back to get back into the institutionalism. I was looking to do something different. I started off really trying to, pl to, to plant a church, for lack of a better word. And I struggled with the fact that, that the minutes the numbers went beyond a certain number, and it was either three or, or it was five, it, it lost that genuine relational dimension. And so the, the moment of the small group getting together, because they're getting together to know each other and share what God is doing, and then looking to see what God is doing in each other's lives. There, there was something there. But like Richard Jacobson says, you can have something vibrant like that, and then it gets to a certain point, and then mm. there's got to be that person that looks over to you and goes, we should really start now, and it just kills everything. <laughs> yes. And I noticed that exact same pattern, and whenever sure. groups got to that point, because I didn't have to own that group, deliberately trying to deconstruct that, I could let that go. And so I've done that cycle a number of times with different groups. And I find it just, it's just particularly frustrating. I feel like in some ways that the challenge is meeting a lot of people who basically go, this kind of stuff doesn't give me the security of the institution. And so I can't trust it. And so even though I'm unhappy within the institutional system, and I don't think it's what we should be doing, 
I don't want to make something happen. I don't want to be part of that, that initial thing. And, and if I do, I want to be in charge. And I, there's a lot of people that are, that, are, that are in that boat. And I think it's just, it's something that we are so programmed into. There's a, you know, I, I talk about it as the doing church paradigm, that we've been do, doing church in such a way for such a long time that it completely frames and shapes and determines what we do. And so if you take a look at, at it almost as a constellation of different paradigms of people relating, getting to know each other, meeting with God, you know, getting together intentionally, getting together occasionally, you, you, and you take all those paradigms and put them together, what we've done is we've built a constellation that has get together in a building with a particular person that's going to be preaching and teaching. That's, that's the paradigmatic center. The whole constellation of doing church is built around that. And it's, 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 it's become that to such a point that it's, it really is pathological. We've got these collection of paradigms and they can't be allowed to change priority or reconfigure around the needs and dynamic life of the community. They have to be instituted in a particular way, whether that works for you or not. And so what happens is you've got a lot of people on the way into church and they're there for a season, and then there's a lot of people on the way out. And the only valid thing that we've got is this particular constellation around doing church in a particular way. And even if you're on the way out, the draw is always back to that because we, our language is only in terms of that. And so, mm. and so it ends up being really difficult. So I, I've had it when running groups where people go, people don't like the way I do church. And I go, I'm not trying to do church. <laughs> <laughs> if that is your expectation, I, well I can never meet that. <laughs> yeah. You know, or they go, I, I don't like your style of leadership. And I go, I'm not trying to be a leader. You know, like heavens, but I don't want anyone to follow me. That's just nuts. I, I like what you're saying because I see a similar pattern. I'll just sort of put one comment in there. And I see it specifically with... I think, let me call it sort of like the religious leaders, the pastors, the ministers that almost leave a particular constellation, this doing of church, and then strike out and go, you know, that just wasn't working and I got hurt. And there's all sorts of language put to that, you know, stressed and burnt out and all those sorts of things. And I've left that behind me and I'm going to go and plant something and it's going to be different. And I love the word pathological that you used because I think it's very clear. And I would sort of put two things to that. At some level, it's subconscious, right? So it's just uninvestigated in terms of it's, it being pathological. And, it, and then, then sort of in conjunction with that, it repeats itself whether you want it to or not. And so I watch these people strike out to do something new. And in fact, often, sadly, the only new thing is the geographical space. And so it's not a 10,000-seater auditorium necessarily. It's a school hall or somebody's house or, you know, a pavilion at a sports ground or something like that. But it's exactly the same. Exactly the same. So in terms of your question, like how do I see this? That's something that I find really hard because I'm trying to root out my own pathology, I think. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, so I'm, I'm trying to do, you know, some of what I, I'm, I was trying to speak to earlier in terms of how I see John and Richard approaching this. And they're trying to give up something within themselves almost before they move out and try something new. And so I can see that pattern at play in myself. So one of the one of the sort of community experiments that I've been sort of a part of for the last two and a half, three years has been, in my mind, both a dramatic failure and, <laughs> and a wonderful success, paradoxically, all at the same time. 
because I've really tried to, to put my finger on this pathology that you're talking about and shed some of these, you know, there's got to be a leader. There always has to be some sort of teaching. There has, you know, it's, 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 it's liturgical at its, at its very essence, no matter what people say. This happens, then that happens, then that happens, then we close and we go home. And part of that is that, you know, the part of that pattern is, well, when this happens, only certain people do that, this. And then the next, this happens, and only certain people do that. And the last, this is a bit more open. You know, anyone can serve coffee. You don't have to have a theology degree to serve coffee. I remember, I remember having an argument with a worship leader, and they were saying, no, look, the character of a worship leader is really important because they're up on display on a Sunday morning, right? So, you know, they have to be of high character. And I said, well, what about people serving soup at a soup kitchen? Are you not worried about their character? No, no, no. It's, it, that's not a public ministry. You, you misunderstand, Steve. I'm like, so, so basically what you're saying is because the poor won't pay you tithes, you don't care whether people shout and scream <laughs> swear at them at a soup kitchen. But you've got to have somebody who's scrubbed up well to stand in front of the church with a guitar. And so trying to get rid of some of that thinking in myself and going, so what if we tried to level the playing field? So this is a small group that we've tried to meet every Tuesday evening as consistently as possible. We've tried to level kind of any leadership structure. So it works on a consensus basis, lots of discussion around where are we going to go? What are we going to do? And I think we've seen some real successes there in really trying to explore moving away from some of this church pathology stuff. But at the same time, what's been really fascinating is that I think we've been quite stunted and quite stagnated at times because it's almost as though when you remove that constellation, nothing rushes to fill that space. That's been my experience. And there's a lot of milling about and well, who's going to speak up and does somebody need to remind everyone that we're meeting on Tuesday or whatever. And then also I think a part of that is, is you know, some of this peeling back of the layers as you talk about and going as much as I have tried to be intentional as being part of that community and trying to shed some of those constellations, those patterns, I've seen some of them still rearing their ugly head. And so, for example, quite consistently for us, there has been some sort of teaching. And so we've tried to break some of the hierarchical stuff by, you know, everyone gets a turn to bring something and share something to the group. But it is quite planned and it is very much a you know, for this thing to have happened well on the Tuesday evening, somebody needs to have come and shared something of a teaching orientation, whatever. And so that's been quite fascinating for me to just explore that and go, sure, some of this is quite hard to escape. Uh, some of this really is deep-seated. Some of it, when you actively try to escape it, uh, even then, myself included, people will stand around kind of going, uh, <laughs> now what? And so that's why I try, I'm trying to just describe it as this paradox of it feels successful and at times, at other times, like, oh, what a waste of time. It's been a complete failure. So that's been a bit of my experience in terms of trying to explore a, a different way, a different space, a different community expression. We, we don't often realize if you're really immersed in the culture of doing church, you don't see it in the way that outsiders see it. You see it through almost the lens that you're programmed to see it. There's a fantastic book called Jim and Casper Go to Church. I, I don't know if you've read that at all. <laughs> I haven't, but that sounds fantastic. Already I'm sold. So, so, so I forget uh, uh, which is which, is which uh, whether Jim Henderson is the atheist of the Christian or Matt Casper is the atheist of the Christian. But anyway, it's, it's, it's one or the other, right? <laughs> Basically, the guy that's the atheist decides 
that there's this, there's as a joke that he's going to put his immortal soul up for sale on eBay because he doesn't have a use for it, right? Because he's an atheist. And the other guy, who's a Christian, basically sees this and decides to buy it, and he bids for it and buys the guy's soul, quote unquote, right? <laughs> and the deal with him is is basically going come to church with me. We'll go to a whole bunch of different churches. And then you and I are going to have a conversation about this and write a book together. And, oh. and, and they do. And it's just, it's brilliant. It's just, it's just brilliantly done because in some ways it's like a real world satire. And, mm. and it's, a, it's a completely objective outsider's perspective speaking to an insider who's thoroughly convinced about this. And together mm. with that, there's an exploration of the machinery of doing church. And, mm. and, and reading it from that perspective, it, it, it does give one a sense that this thing called doing church is a particular thing. And the, conf- the way that we've taken the word church as what God does and the word church as what we do, and we've collapsed them into each other, we've almost replaced the one with the other as well. And so mm. I feel like the frustration is, is there's all these things of what the, what the church is in, in the New Testament, right? And mm. none of those are referring to the institution of the church, <laughs> not a single mm. one of them. But in retrospect, as we read back into when we read those stories, we read it as though it is talking about this institution that we call the church. Mm. And and one one of the the things that I like about what uh, um, Richard does in particular is he offers some great language enabling people to unbundle that you know language around the the um, and this didn't come in the podcast so much as in his in his writings and you know mm. the videos and and stuff like that is the notion that this persona ficta we, we this institution called the church that we give life to and we establish replaces that for us and and that process of it and he's got some phenomenal language at helping people get a grip on that that i think is really good for anyone that wants to do a journey like this to actually pick up with and i I highly recommend picking up his 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 book watching his ted talk you know looking at his youtube videos around unchurching to actually dig through that and and to let that be a part of the unbundling because the minute we are able to unbundle from it we can get back to going you know, what is, what is the primary thing? What are we actually trying to do? What are we trying to achieve? And we go from trying to build a thing that we call the church to actually just going, oh, I've got to be a person in process with other people. And one of the mm. other persons I've got to be in process with is God. Mm. A- and it's mm. just a completely different thing because now it isn't about trying to create an event. It mm. isn't about trying to populate that event and getting bums on seats there. Mm. It just changes. In some ways, I think we don't have easy language for that. I was chatting to a dear friend the other day and I, I did some of my, my usual critique stuff about church and the experience of God and relationship with God. And, and the reflex, her reflex was to, to bring in the side examples, but this does happen here and there and occasionally. And, and, and me basically going, yes, but it's not the norm. It, it happens despite what we're doing. We're not in tune with that. We're not trying to be in tune with that. The whole experience in God Etc. Etc. It does happen in and around us, but it happens even without this to the same frequency. So this thing that we're doing isn't the thing that enables it to happen. And anyway, the conversation moved on, and then ten minutes—it wasn't even ten minutes later—she was bringing those same critiques. And I said, "Just hold on a second. <laughs> this is just an observation, not a critique. 
earlier I was saying this stuff and your reflex was to defend this institution. Now you're saying the same things that I'm saying. And she took a second, she said, and just acknowledged that, that actually that's true. I'm not allowed to crit- critique the institution, but she is. And I think that's the position everyone ends up being in. And the more invested people are in it, the, the less we see, the less we're able to see what God is doing apart from this. It's almost like we, we, we see this as the only means through which God does any of the work that God does. We have to build this organization. And then, as you say, when you take a look at the, the, the money, and the, the stats basically go, 70% at least goes into supporting that venue for that service. Mm. And so all mm. the good that people want to do, the giving to the poor, the giving to this project, to that project, et cetera, et cetera, it, it's a small fraction that goes to any of the good that people want to do. What I love about mm. what Richard and, and, and John are doing is they're going, if we don't have to fund that institutional backbone, then any resources actually go to what needs to be done and what people mm. are trying to achieve. And that's, I, you know, that's just mm. refreshing because there's, a, there's an adult, adult trust in that as opposed to going, no, the only legitimate way to do this is you've got to give to this institution. And then this mm. institution is going to oversee that because why? You know, why? Why? Because <laughs> we're all children and can't manage ourselves. You know? <laughs> that is a very <laughs> cynical side chop. Just, just a quick aside to our listener, in terms of the language that Tim is using around Richard Jacobson's work, etc., uh, do yourselves a favor and pop across to unchurching.com backslash audiobook, or you can just go straight to unchurching.com and you'll pick up a free resource he's got there in terms of getting started on some of the language uh, that he's using around this, you know, that Tim's just been referencing there. And it's a, it's a very cool resource and it's easily accessible. Just pop on there and you should be able to either download or listen, you know, stream it immediately. And that'll give you some access to, to what Tim is referring to there in terms of his language. When I think back to, to my sense of calling and the sense of wanting to introduce people to the experience of God and introduce mm. people to how they can develop a practice of the presence of God. For, for me, there's the deal question of going, how do people do it as individuals and then the question of how do people do it as a community. Mm. I think we answer that only on one level when, when our answer is about how do we meet together in a healthy way and support each mm. other in and through our lives and help each other hear what God is saying and doing for us. Because in many ways, I think we can end up meeting with each other about God rather than mm. meeting with each other and meeting with God. And so, and so the analogy that I have in the back of my head is like getting together with a group of friends to meet someone and celebrate their birthday and say, you, you book out a venue and, and, you know, you book out a restaurant and you all arrive, but the person that you're meeting about doesn't arrive. So you can all tell stories about them. You can all have a good time together with each other, but you're not having a good time with them. And even if they were there, the interaction is going to vary because perhaps they won't speak to everyone equally or all night you know the the relational dynamics are going to vary you know in terms of the the behavior and how the the evening or the event progresses and so i i think of it in a similar sense and i i i can never shake the feeling uh, and i get so frustrated with this that to go to church is to go to a meeting about god and not with god i i remember going to um again as part of this research project because apart from that i've been to church 
aside from ones I've, I've tried to help plant in, in recent years as well. You know, I, I went to one and they had phenomenal worship and I had the sense of like, God's like going, I love this and I really want to connect with people, but I'm not really allowed in. <laughs> and in, the, in that situation, I, I, did, I did what I usually do where I just said, you know, is there, is there someone you actually want to say something to and, and who? And I saw someone ahead of me. And so I was like, okay, God, what are you, what are you saying? What are you doing? And God, God showed me. So I, I just interjected, mm. you know, um, it, was, it was a young adult there together with their parents. And mm. I, so, so I interjected with them as a, as a group because it's a, it's, a, it's a church that I don't know. I'm just visiting to, to record as part of a project. And, and for me, it's a sense of, well, God's speaking to me, so I'm going to go with it. So I basically said, uh, I don't know if you guys do this kind of stuff here, but I, I feel like there's something that God wants to say, say to you. And, uh, and with the three of you, are you, are you open to this? And the, the, mm. the parents were open to it and the young adult was open to it. So I actually mm. shared what God was doing. And it was like, you know, or wanting to say about what was going on in, in their life at the time. And, mm. and they had this like phenomenal encounter, like this real sense of God becoming tangibly present because God is doing something with this person. And, and then they're like, oh, well, you should really meet our pastor and chat to our pastor. And so, so they introduced me to the guy afterwards and he's like, no, no, we don't do this here. We don't do this here. You know, like we, we don't. <laughs> and we intentionally don't want to do this kind of stuff because it could scare off the visitors and the, and the members. You know, so, so we don't want to go there. God is very inconvenient for his church. Hey? God is very inconvenient. And if I think back in history, we've got, this, we've got this history of what God does is very disruptive to our doing of church. Then you have these big church fights about it, and we go back to church as usual, and then we go, oh, where did the renewal go? <laughs> you know, and so if I, if, I think, if I think back, you've got that relationship between the, the monastics and the institution of the church leading into the Reformation. Mm. And all their reforms are resisted. And then eventually it comes to their head and you have the Protestant Reformation. And so, so what happens afterwards is, is you end up with the Great Awakenings and you end up with the Protestant church going, uh-uh, nah, we're not happy mm. with this. We're really not happy with this. We don't like what's going on. And, and, and inevitably, you've, you, you've got this tension between what God is doing when God is present in person, uh, the chaos that ensues, um, because there is that, and that's a mixed bag. So I'm not, I'm not for a second going, you know, everything is fine in that sense. But, mm. but just in terms of the paradigm, the, for God to become relationally present is probably no better represented than Andrew Murray. So mm. Andrew Murray's got a, a church that was big renewal in, in, in South Africa a, a while back. And the report basically goes on the day that God really breaks out, he's disrupted in his study, <laughs> prepping his sermon mm. and stuff. And he basically goes in to try and shut everything up. <laughs> and I, mm. I think, and of course, Andrew Murray is known to be someone who like worked phenomenally with God. And, and mm. I, think, I, I think that that's the starting point that many of us are at when it comes to this kind of stuff, that, that for us, it's unfamiliar territory. We've got this thing called doing church, and it's very constructivist. It's a conditional environment that creates an ambience around the idea of God, and the idea of God is institutionalized, but we're not actually meeting with God. And so, mm. so I think the challenge is dual. On one hand, can one go about doing it within the institution? And I think there's examples of that happening. 
And many churches that I know that tried to do that ended up having to stop doing that and become another church, either independently mm. or, you know, vine- vineyardism movement has been not so great at planting churches, but great at adopting those kind of churches, for instance. Mm. You know, like, you know, so, so there's a thing, but, but it's a clear example of how it is disruptive, you know, so, mm. um, so, and I think we're facing the same challenge, you know, and I'd love to see how people like Richard and John uh, resolve that uh, in, in the long run and what that means to them. And we'd love to have conversations with that. So, so what I'm saying now is by no means a comment on, on what they doing or a critique mm. of them or anything like that. Please don't, don't read it as that. For me, it's just this general thing that we've got this culture of doing the church and this culture of doing church is primary even over God. And so one of the things that I, that I, that I loved and hated from the vineyard is this language of, are we going to let God be God? <laughs> it's kind of like, mm, like, yeah, I'm, I'm very sure she needed that permission to be, to be that. <laughs> Thank you very much <laughs> yes. for allowing God to be that. No, we can allow, we can allow the spirit to lead the service. Great. Once again, a wonderfully permission-giving environment to the spirit. H- have you made it clear to the spirit what the what the boundaries to that look like? Because yes, I, I, I yes. see arrival time closing. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you, you know, and so and so for me that that ends up being a bit it ends up being a bit tricky. But I think that the, the the biggest challenge to all of this kind of stuff is our language and our expectations not clear around it. And so for for someone like myself, I, I have a strong expectation of the immediacy of that. And 99% of the people that I, that I speak to basically go, mm, no, we're not looking for the immediacy of that. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's still unresolved for me. It's, still, it's still, a, still something I'm working through and working through in conversation with people and communities. Now, I, I think that for me is the joy of this is that, and you've spoken of this before, and I think I have as well, of the idea of things remaining in process rather than having to see everything as a static reality you know, and measure it. Well, this is where we are now and this is the sum total, et cetera, et cetera. You know, sometimes I enjoy saying when people want to make a comment and go, oh, you know, this person's backsliding or this person's losing the plot or this person, I want to say, well, just take a snapshot, you know, from the Christian perspective, take a snapshot from Jesus's life and pick out a bunch of static realities. And then you tell me, when was he successful? You know, when the people all told him, oh, blow this for a game of soldiers, like this is too hard, we're leaving. When, you know, a whole bunch of people started to follow him, when the crowds were there, when he ends up with just a handful of people, you know, standing below him at the cross, when he's dead and buried, when, you know, at what point would you want to take the snapshot and just make it a static reality and go, there we go, there we go. No, no, it's, there's this trajectory, right? And we're the same, we're in process. And, and I like what you're saying there, because for me, I resonate with that in terms of, I would also recognize John and his journey in process, uh, and I would imagine without wanting to speak on his behalf, John, I would not want to speak for you, but I think he would probably use similar language. Um, and I don't know Richard as well, but I would imagine there would be a comfort with that of going, yes, we're in process and we're exploring and we would also like to see where this goes. And I love how you tie that in with yourself. And that's where I resonate as well in going, I also still have a thousand questions, you know, and, and that's usually what I, what I immediately will bring to critique critics and go, oh, but Steve, you say this and this and this, or you offer this critique or whatever. So what's your option? And I go, well, you know, I'm, I'm not offering you this as a static reality. I'm still exploring. I'm still constructing myself. And this is not, I'm not trying to, you know, uh, uh, you know, get myself out of the spotlight here. I'm not trying to give an easy out. I genuinely believe in that idea of process and that you have to embrace that trajectory. 
And I'm also really looking forward to see what this journey for both John and for Richard and, and for any other deconstructors of, of this kind of nature who turn to look for this kind of community post community of church or institution to really see what that means. It's apocalyptic thinking. I don't actually have an answer to the deconstruction. I'm asking because I want to be open to the answers I don't have yet or the ideas or the dreams or the visions. And so I want to be open to that, but I don't get there by just repeating the same constellations of church, the same patterns of church, the same things without really decluttering some of the space, sorting through things, throwing away the absolutely useless, even if that's a part of myself and going, sure, why did I attach myself to that for so long? The, the, the pro-church camp lock onto something like Acts chapter two, you know, where they, where, where Peter preaches and 3000 are added to the church. And, you know, so we've got to build these big seated churches because obviously that's what they did. You know, it's not the church that made yes. people's homes. They must have had a massive auditorium, <laughs> right? Yeah, it took over the synagogue on Sundays. <laughs> yeah, and so and so there's a there's there's a limited selection of cherry picked texts taken to use to support as an as an institution, and the texts that aren't taken are things like they sold everything and lived together in community. Mm, interesting. Mm. <laughs> things that aren't taken is, is later on. You just have to fast forward nine chapters to, to the, you know, the violence and the tension being so great that they're no longer together. They're all scattered. <laughs> you know, and so, so, so they didn't have a permanent reality there. You know? And so we, in retrospect, we can provide some retrospective continuity and go, oh, that church, you know, Jerusalem has endured since the foundations. No, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't. <laughs> if you could, if it's got a cornerstone with a date as a building, that's when the building was built. But that's not the community. That's not the community. That was the church that this thing called the Bible is telling the story about, right? And so, what I love about pe- things like like Richard and John is that we we're all similarly deconstructing the similar kind of renewal stuff. We're all similarly deconstructing the the institutional stuff. And we're all in process and we, we we're starting to be more connected in conversation. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to what comes out of the conversation, what comes out of the experimentation, what comes out of people being connected and almost journeying apart as called people, but in solidarity and togetherness. But I mean, I, I'm a hopeless romantic, I think, when it comes to this kind of stuff. <laughs> well, I think we also belong. Hopeless romantics are people too. There we go. They are. They are. <laughs> Yeah, and I really share that excitement, and, and I don't think that it is a misplaced excitement because, for me, the hope is always in that trajectory, that process, and looking forward rather than just claiming, we've arrived, and here we go, here's the answer. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited, and, and what, a, what a pleasure it was to talk with people who also sound so excited and passionate about what they're doing and you know, share very vulnerably as well and poignantly about some of their experiences and what it's like to leave. You know, and I don't negate that reality, but there also is very much a sense of excitement of, yes, sure, this is what's ahead. Uh, and let's, uh, let's go and see. Let's go and see. 